Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from The Message. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved, check out our website, message.org.uk. If you've got your Bibles, please do turn to Luke chapter 22. Um, last time I was sharing about Jesus at the Last Supper, and I'd really like be focusing on those amazing words because Jesus had said about the Last Supper that it, he eagerly desired to share that meal with his disciples. Uh, I just found that so profound, Christ eagerly desiring to eat a meal. It's because that meal for him was the most important of all meals, the most precious moment, the most intimate of meals. This was the one meal in his entire life that he considered more desirable than any other. And it's in that moment as Jesus is breaking the bread that he talks about his body being broken for them. And then it's in that same meal that he takes the wine, didn't he? And he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant which is poured out for you. This is the meal that he told his disciples to repeat and remember, repeat and remember, repeat and remember this moment. And it's this moment, this meal that becomes the very centre point of Christian worship. In the early church, it wasn't song worships, two songs or a hymn sandwich. It was the, the, the sacrament, the Eucharist. It was this meal that was the center point of the early church. It's incredible, the most sacred of meals. And it's in this most special moment then that Jesus goes on to identify his betrayer. Let me just remind you, in verse 20 it says, In the same way after the supper he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as It has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. It's so profound that we skip over it and don't recognise just the powerful moment there. In the same moment that Jesus institutes the new covenant, signalling the end of the old covenant, which will be satisfied with Christ upon the cross. This is Jesus declaring a new covenant has come. But in the same moment, without a breath, his sentence runs on to call out his betrayer. Jesus doesn't pause in the sentence. As I read it, I put a small gap in there, but in the Hebrew, it runs on through. It goes like this. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you, but, poured out for you, but, behold, it says in the Greek, behold, like there can't be a pause, because behold, the hand of him who's going to betray me is with mine on the table. Those things will be forever linked. The new covenant in his blood and the hand of the betrayer, and yet the new covenant enables those who have betrayed Christ to come close to him. Do you see how incredibly profound that moment is? It's wonderful. The nature of the upside down kingdom continues to astound me. But this meal, this meal so eagerly desired is about to go to the next level of awkward. See, Jesus has just told them he's going to die for them. He's just told them that his body will be broken, his blood will be shed for the new covenant and their response is remarkable. 
Their response is not to break down in worship, fall to their knees in adoration, saying, please, can I have more of the bread and more of the blood? Their response is to begin to dispute who amongst them is the best. For real? Are you mad? Are you serious? Lads, are you serious that in the response to the meal so eagerly desired, the greatest meal in history, their response is to go, yeah, but, yeah, but I think I might be better than you. Verse 23, they began to question amongst themselves which of them it might be who would do this, who would betray Jesus. And a dispute also arose amongst them as to which of them was considered the greatest. Are you crazy? It's almost like as if Jesus mentions the betrayal and then they begin to question, like, who could it possibly be? And as they begin to do it, they're like, well, it definitely can't be me. It definitely can't be, can't be me. I could never betray Jesus because I'm so freaking great. I have done this and I have done that. And before you know it, they're all debating with each other. And I imagine it goes like this. Well, I've seen the most people saved. I've seen the most people healed. I've been a part of the most miracles. And they're debating who's done the most mission and who's the most prayerful then maybe who knows the scripture the best and I saw the transfiguration I don't think some of you guys saw the transfiguration and Peter's like I had to go on the water you know they're all trying to outdo each other I said, who is the closest the most Christ-like I could never betray Jesus look at what I've done and there's a tendency amongst Christians to do that. You know, it's not just hilarious that the disciples do it. We do it even in our midst if we're not careful. We get drawn into comparison so easily. I remember one particular occasion. I won't tell you where it is, but there was an open time of testimonies. And the first testimony came up and they, they began to share like, oh, I've just been really getting to know my neighbours. You know, it's been so great. I've had an opportunity to serve them. And I put the bins out last week and it really was really very special oh brilliant and then they sat down the next person got up and they said oh you know I've actually been you know serving my neighbours now for the past uh, you know four or five years and uh, you know actually they're in my house every day and and um, you know I'm sharing Christ all the time next person well I've actually been in my neighbourhood for 10 years and you know my neighbours you know they all got saved you know the whole family got saved and they've begun to witness to their neighbours and they've got saved too yeah then the next person comes up and says, well, my neighbor died and I rose him from the dead. You know what I mean? There's like, and, or you can see this like increasing escalation on who's achieved what. And it's our tendency to begin to compare. But I just think, man, we've got to be better than that. But what's the context? What a weird thing to do. What a strange conversation to have. And you know what's most disappointing is these boys are doing this all the time. Like, this is not just a one-off occasion where Jesus having to go, come on, guys. Like, Luke chapter 9, that we looked at in 2008. Um, Mark 9, Mark, uh, Matthew 28. Both James and John and their mum, there's also another scenario in Matthew 20, where J- James and John bring their mum in, just have a quick word with Jesus. I'll just talk to you about my boys. It'd be really great if they could sit either side of you in your kingdom. It's like, what are you bringing your mum into this for? Stop it, lads. It must get so tiresome. Jesus says to them, 
The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. I love how Jesus cuts to the chase, hits the issue on its head. And it must have been so hard for Jesus. How many times have I got to tell you the ways of the kingdom? This kingdom is not like the ways of the world. The thing that I'm instituting, that I'm just now hours from dying to secure, is so vastly different to the ways of the world. And it's hard, you know, I don't want to get into geopolitics, but it's hard when I've been preparing this, not to see the ways of our world and think how exactly opposite to the ways of Christ and his kingdom, the things that we're witnessing now are so anti the kingdom of God. Man, it makes me hunger for Christ more than ever. Like the cry of the early church, come, Lord Jesus, come. I'm like, this needs to be the sound of the Christian church now. We need to let our our exasperation and our brokenness not turn us in apathy, but turn us to cry out, come Lord Jesus, come. Please God, we need you. We're desperate for your return. Only you can make a way. And that is not in my notes. I've got slightly carried away. But it's important for us to hold on. The ways of Christ and his kingdom are different to the ways of the world. But yet how hard it is for them to grasp it. Don't be like the kings of the Gentiles. They've got all the authority, but yet they're abusing their power. The kings and the rulers at the time like to call themselves benefactors. It was like a grand title that they would adopt themselves. A benefactor was like a generous philanthropist. I will announce myself. I am a benefactor. You'll be grateful for what you'll receive from me. I'm an incredibly powerful and yet generous person. But to the Jews, it meant something else. See, these uh, leaders and authorities were deeply deceived. They were prideful persecutors of God's people. The word benefactor had become a nickname amongst the Jews. The name that had represented the hated royal tyrants. It became the name that had epitomized the powerful, the power-obsessed oppressors of the Jews. And Jesus is absolutely clear. Don't be like that. Like this is not who you're called to be. So do away with your desire and desperation for power and, and, and lording your authority over other people. Have done with it. Jesus is clear. You are not to be like that. We have to be different. Instead, Jesus says, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. This is our king. This is our king. The greatest is like the youngest. The ruler like the weakest. The youngest was like the vulnerable, the overlooked and the last, the insignificant and the ignored, the runt and the reject, the slave and the servant. And this is what Jesus says is different about his kingdom because in his kingdom, those who are overlooked and last, insignificant and ignored, are now found as the greatest. The identifier of greatness is little, least lowest Jesus says for who is greater the one who is at the table or the one who serves is it not the one who is at the table but I am among you as one who 
serves. And this is the crazy stuff. Because if they'd paid close attention, they would have realized in this moment, if they'd tuned their ears, they would have heard Jesus saying, I'm the greatest. I am the greatest because I am the servant. Jesus is the greater. Jesus is the leader. Jesus is the one who serves and they just don't get it and they just can't see it. Why? Because pride that desires power blinds us. Pride turns us in on ourselves and we fail to see Christ. You fail to see Christ when pride takes root in your heart. In this most incredible moment, they have lost sight of all that is unfolding before them. Blinded by pride, they cannot see Jesus. And if they just paused for a moment, if they'd lifted their heads from their navels, If they'd fixed their eyes on Jesus, they would have seen a man before them dressed in a towel. A man dressed as a servant. Luke doesn't record it, but John helpfully provides it for us. This is from John 13. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, so he got up from the meal table, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him Jesus the greatest Jesus the greatest is with them he had all power and all authority he knew the extent of the power that the father had given him and yet he removes his outer garments he humbles himself stripping down to his underwear he wraps a towel around his waist and he bends humbling himself to his knees to begin to wash the feet of his disciples jesus takes the form of a servant not just a servant but a bond servant not just a bond servant but a slave and they can't see it They're arguing about who's the best. Who's going to get the greatest place in the kingdom of heaven. And the greatest is there. Before their eyes wrapped only in a towel. The only son of God and he's just washed their feet. The king of kings is the servant of the servants. The most amazing moment at the meal, Jesus has just announced that he's been betrayed. He's been sold out for the price of a slave. He's performed the duties now of a slave upon his knees. He's dressed as a slave and he's going to go from here where he'll be arrested like a criminal and he'll die a death to serve them eternally. Dying to cleanse them forever. Dying in their place, dying a criminal's death upon the cross, and they can't see it. 
If you know me well, you know my favourite passage of scripture is what Paul writes as he exhorts the Philippian church. And it comes in chapter 2. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And do you see how in this moment, the words of Paul that he will write 60 years down the line are being displayed for the disciples of Christ? And the humility of Christ is a wonder to me. Our call to humility therefore starts as we begin to fix our eyes on Jesus. See, pride looks inwards upon itself. Pride becomes self-obsessed and the power that I can generate from within. Or it becomes obsessed with the power of the world and how I can stack myself full of it. But humility comes when we first look at Christ Jesus. Humility comes when I see Christ knelt upon his knees, wrapped only in a towel. Humility begins to come when I see the king of kings washing feet. Humility comes when I see the one with all power and all authority adopting the role of a slave. Humility comes when I recognise Christ, the King of Kings, is sold as a slave. Humility comes when I begin to see the author of life dying, dying upon a cross, nailed, nailed as a criminal. When we realise the greatest, the greatest, was the youngest, the weak, the vulnerable, the overlooked and the last, the insignificant and the ignored, the runt and the reject, the slave and the servant. When we begin to see Jesus in that light, how can we carry pride? How can we be, even find the, the, the power of this world of any great desire when we see Christ abandon all of it? The one who has all authority and all, all power says the power of the world is like muck to me. I don't need any of it. I lay it aside. I empty myself. How can we strive for more in view of Christ who empties himself? How can we demand more honour when we see and witness the king of all glory dishonoured? Lord, forgive us. And when Jesus calls us to be servants, do you hear the call that he says, come and be like me? I don't know about you, but I don't really desire vulnerability. I don't like the idea of weakness. I don't want to be overlooked and I don't want to be last. But Jesus says, come to me and come be like me. You want to know where Jesus is found? He's found in the lowly places, the place of powerlessness. To have the same mindset of, as Christ is to have your mind set on Christ. Let me say that again. To have the same mindset as Christ, you have to have your mind set on Christ. 
And as we set our minds on him and see him in light of his powerlessness, this is where servant-heartedness begins to be cultivated within us. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus in his weakness. Lay down your strength and your power. Empty yourself and stand on the side of the least, the lowest and the last. Philippians 2 goes on to give us that wonderful exhortation, that incredible moment of worship, a crescendo of beautiful, beautiful song. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But do you see how it comes Do you see that it's found first in the humble who lays down all power and all authority? Do you see that it's a reward for his brokenness? Worthy is the lamb who was slain. He first has to be slain to receive glory and honour and power and strength. It's a wonder. But you know what I found amazing about Luke's account? Is that I can see that it begins to interweave with Philippians chapter 2 because it's almost like Jesus begins to add his disciples into the promise that he's going to receive. In his call for them to humble themselves, he offers them a promise. You are those who have stood with me in my trials, he says. And I confer on you a kingdom. Just as my father conferred one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. They seem to crave earthly authority, but Jesus intends to give them kingdom authority. Jesus' humility results in great uh, exaltation, but Jesus here is promising to share his inheritance. The kingdom that has been given to them, uh, him, he's about to give to them. Let me just remind you of what kingdom that is. That's the kingdom of God. That's his father's kingdom bestowed upon him. What kind of kingdom is it? It's an upside down kingdom that he wants to give them. And therefore it's given to them where? Not at the point of strength, but at the point of humility. Jesus says, stand with me in my humility, even in my humiliation when you side with Christ in his trials and in his sufferings the rewards supersede anything that the world offers they get to eat and to drink at the table there's a place at the table for them can you imagine what that's going to be like I love food Can you imagine what it's going to be like to have a place at the table? My goodness. Jesus, though, has just told them, right? He's not going to eat and drink again until he enters that kingdom. And he's like, he's saying, I'm going ahead of you guys. But if you can stand with me through the suffering and the trials and the the, the powerlessness, if if you can continue alongside me and stay on side with me, what remains, what, what, what comes ahead of you, I'm going to prepare for you. There's something incredible, but you've got to stick. You've got to hold. You've got to stay with me in the place of powerlessness, even though it's so difficult. And it's so counter to the world, which is trying to draw us with power. And he's saying, lay down that stuff. 
Stay with me in the place of pain and suffering and difficulty because the results are incredible. The kingdom that is to come cannot be, not be outdone. But you know what? The devil would love nothing more to rob you of a seat at the table. He'd like nothing more to take away your prize. And Jesus knows this. And this is exactly what he says to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, that's Peter. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Satan's asked to take you out. But I have prayed for you, Simon. I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus says, the devil wants to take you out, rob your throne. But Peter's adamant that it's not going to happen. That he'll stay with Christ. He will stand with him through the trials. Jesus said, if you stand with me through the trials, the kingdom of God awaits. And Peter's like, I ain't giving up on that. There's no way you can take it from me. Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. I'll stand with you. I will stand with you as you've asked. And I think Peter, with all his heart, desires that. He wants to get it right. I'll stand with you, he says. And Jesus gives him those so incredibly difficult words. I tell you, Peter, before the cock crows today, you'll deny me three times. Deny three times that you know me. How hard would that be? You know, you're going to get this so wrong. It's not just going to be once, but thrice. Peter will fail. And as much as he believes in his heart that he won't, he will. He'll fall at the final hurdle. Faith uh, will be replaced by fear. Pride will overwhelm him. He'll cling to life instead of loosing himself from it. He'll deny Christ instead of denying himself and he'll reject Jesus. And the moment is a catastrophe. It's horrendous. But for the fact that Jesus has been praying for him. And I love that. If you're Simon Peter, that is the greatest news that you've ever heard. The devil wants to take you out, but I have been praying for you. I, the King of Kings and the Lord of the Lords, I, the one with all power and all authority. Me, the son, the only son of the father. I've been chatting to my dad. I've been chatting to my dad. I've been telling him about you. And the devil wants to take you out, but I told my dad. I told my dad, and it ain't going to happen. And when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knows the difficulties that we go through. Jesus knows the pressures that we are under. Jesus knows the systems of power that exist within our world. Jesus knows the challenges we're facing. He knows what is competing for our best. He knows the rat race of life. He knows the survival of the fittest. He knows how dependent on power we are. And he prays for us. The scriptures tell us he's been interceding and continues to intercede for us with the father. He's talking to his dad. He's saying, I'm talking to my dad. Hear him say that to you today. I've been talking to my dad about you. The devil may have a scheme to rob you of your throne, but Christ has been talking to his dad. Christ has been talking to his dad. And you know what? I, I sometimes think, oh, Judas, oh, I can never be Judas. Oh, Peter, I can never be Peter. You know what? I'd be both. I had a moment in the shower this morning where I thought, I'm Judas. I, am, I, would, I would be Judas. I would. And I don't want to be. I don't take any pride or delight in that. 
And if I hadn't been Judas, I'd have definitely been a Peter. I'd have made a right mess of it. And I still do. I still do. I still fail. I still make a mess. Sometimes I don't side with Christ in the place of powerlessness. Sometimes I don't um, forsake life and deny myself. Sometimes my lifestyle looks like I'm denying Christ. Betraying Christ with my actions. But I have to take heart that Christ is talking to his dad. That Jesus, my saviour, talks to the Father God about me. Praying for me. That I would turn away from the false systems of this world. From the power that easily corrupts. And that I would find life and strength in him and in him alone. And that beautiful promise that he says to Peter, and when you turn back, (laughs) whoa, when you turn back, go strengthen some people. That's the call to us. When we turn back, when we recognise our failings, and you might fail today, you might make a mess of things today in your words and in your actions and your thoughts or what's in your heart, but when you turn back, go strengthen somebody else. Go call them back to life Go be good news. Draw them back to Jesus. Go encourage them. You know, fill them back up with the things of the kingdom. And remember this, that Christ is praying for you. So let's talk to the one who's praying to the Father. Let's do that now. Oh, Jesus, we love you. You're so good to us. We thank you that you intercede for us. That you stand in the gap and speak to the Father on our behalf. And thank you, Lord, that that opens the gateway to intimacy. Thank you, Lord, that it enables us to be able to stand in your presence. Lord, we recognise the powers of this world and how easily they corrupt us. Lord, help us to desire the powerlessness of the servant king. Jesus, we adore you. Thank you, God, that you're the antidote to this world. Have your way in our hearts today. Turn us back to you if we've fallen away. Turn us back to you if we're failing you, denying you or betraying you. Turn us back to you, Lord. Fill us with life in your name, we pray. Amen. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support our work or even get involved with one of our teams. Thanks for listening. 